This is Inside Isla Vista on KCSB FM Santa Barbara 91.9. I'm Vanessa Manikova. On tonight's show, resources provided to the Isla Vista community. I spoke to Lori Goodman, Executive Director of the Isla Vista Youth Project, Robin Wunander, a student legal advisor at UCSB, and Valerie Tran, Director of External Affairs at UCSB VITA, to learn more about the resources provided to families and students living in Isla Vista. First up, the Isla Vista Youth Project, IVYP, celebrated its 50 years in Isla Vista. I spoke to the executive director of IVYP, Lori Goodman, who shared what her five years as the ED of IVYP looked like, what IVYP is all about, and the direction IVYP is headed towards in the future. My name's Lori Lander Goodman. My pronouns are she, her. I am the executive director of Isla Vista Youth Projects, Becoming LEAP, Learn, Engage, Advocate Partner. I've been in this role for the last five years. Prior to that, I worked for Calm, which um, is another nonprofit here in Santa Barbara County. I have 30 years of nonprofit experience, and I am deeply committed to caring for the children and families of our community. So this year is the 50th anniversary of the Isla Vista Youth Project. Could you just tell me a little bit about how the Isla Vista Youth Project came about? Back in 1969 and 70, there were riots in Isla Vista. Um, it was a very turbulent time for the community there was strong response to the Vietnam War and student uprising. The Bank of America burned. And mm -hmm. in response to that unrest, it became clear that Isla Vista um, didn't have any social services or governmental services. So three organizations were born at that time. The Isla Vista Youth Projects, the Isla Vista Food Co-op, and the Isla Vista Parks and Rec District. Isla Vista Youth Projects is proud to be one of the three flagship organizations built to stabilize and support the community. Um, and I think a really positive outgrowth of that turbulent time. IVYP provides comprehensive support for families in Isla Vista and beyond. Our largest program is a child care center. We have two centers, one on Phelps Road, it's a short walk from Isla Vista, and one on the West Campus of UCSB. And between those two, we serve 130 children, infants up till kindergarten. So Children as young as three months old come, and they can stay until they're ready to enter school. In addition to that, we have a family resource center that works to address the needs of families when they're facing a challenging moment. So that can be things like helping people register to receive Medi-Cal or CalFresh. We have an emergency food pantry and a monthly food distribution. We've opened the only diaper bank in Santa Barbara County and we distribute diapers 
to families who need them. Um, we also work on family strengthening. So we have parenting classes. That's been a really good way to help parents be the best parents that they can be and to provide support and relationship with one another. And then we're responsive to issues that arise in the community. Since 2017, we've been very much focused on providing immigration support to our community. Uh, that has been a partnership with Immigrant Hope, and we provide um, bi-monthly immigration webinars where people can submit their questions beforehand or ask questions during the webinar so that they can learn their rights and can get one-on-one -on -one assistance if they need it to work um, through their immigration issues. We've done a tremendous amount of health outreach in the last three years since the pandemic. We've done education about COVID-19. We've hosted many vaccine clinics, including doing some door-to-door -door vaccination that was in partnership first with Cottage Hospital and then later with the public health department. We've done safety trainings, we really adapt our services to the emerging needs of the community. So not only was there COVID-19, there was also some troubles um, that IVYP had to deal with flooding. So what was the hardest part about recovering and transitioning from those like inconveniences? Has things changed because of those um, like these inconveniences? And how has things changed since then? IVYP, as well as really every organization in Santa Barbara County had to respond to the fires and debris flow back in 2018. Mm -hmm. That was disruptive for us. Actually, the fire was the most disruptive because the air quality was so poor that children couldn't go to school. Um, similarly, only in a much greater, um, greater way, COVID-19 shut down our children's center services for three months. Mm -hmm. We reopened fairly quickly. I'm reflecting that um, this month, March, we're at the exact three-year anniversary of the beginnings of shutdowns with COVID-19. And it was March 13th, 2020, that we made the call to close for, we thought it would be two weeks. And then... <sighs> It was longer. And then we reopened in July of 2020, but at a much reduced capacity. Many parents didn't want to bring their children in, um, but also we needed to drop our class sizes. And we had a number of teachers leave. So mm -hmm. since the pandemic, since we came back to operating our children's center from the pandemic, we have struggled with staffing and with keeping our children and um, teachers healthy. That's been, I would say, more than an inconvenience. It's been really devastating. The entire childcare industry has suffered at, while at the same time, we see how vital it is to our entire economy. At this moment, we are still rebuilding our staff, but we are almost fully there. 
Uh, we're still looking for one more fully qualified teacher. Uh, once we hire that person, we will need at least two more teaching assistants. But we are, other than that, we are fully staffed and we are full of students. So that is a wonderful thing. But for three years, we have not, not been operating to the capacity we would like to be in terms of our children's center. At that mm -hmm. same time, the needs of, of local families have increased. So the work of our Family Resource Center has more than doubled. We saw that the number of resources families need has increased by six times, 600% since it, when we compare it to what the number of services people were accessing prior to the pandemic. So that is, we don't see that um, going, that number going down. It is stabilized. It's not continuing in an upward slope. But what I've recognized is that the more we provide, the more people want, the more growth and opportunity there is. So um, I just see that we have had to ramp up and expand the amount of work we do. This is your fifth year as the executive director. So what were some highlights um, in these five years and what are you most looking forward to in the future? Thank you. Well, yes, I celebrated my fifth anniversary at the end of January. It's ironic, but some of the highlights have been the tremendous success of our work during the pandemic. I am so proud of how our staff just stepped up to meet the need. Um, I'm proud that we've hosted a number of um, opportunities for our community to meet candidates for the local school board. And I'm proud that we have really catalyzed the community. We convene um, something called the Goleta Valley Partnership Network that includes the schools, elected officials, folks from the IVCSD, as well as the Goleta, the city of Goleta, nonprofits, healthcare, law enforcement. We bring them together regularly um, to build relationships with one another and to address issues as they come up in, in support of the community. Um, I'm really proud of our work around anti-racism. Before mm -hmm. the pandemic, our organization identified the social problems that we're trying to address as poverty, racism, and trauma. And so we've really leaned into all the pieces of that and particularly talking about and lifting up um, issues of racism. Most of our staff are people of color. Most of our staff are immigrants and they are from the community. They're not just serving the community. So um, we have a lot of lived experience and um, really try to be an equitable and just organization and lead the way for others. In terms of the future, we are planning to change our name and we will be fully into our new name by the middle of May. 
Our new name is LEAP, Learn, Engage, Advocate, Partner. And we're changing our name because, um, because our old name is confusing to people. We have been doing all the things in LEAP and we have been helping children and families to leap forward in their lives. So this feels like we're, we're taking on a name that fits us. Our tagline is rooted in Isla Vista, nurturing Central Coast families. We never want to let go of that history of our birth in Isla Vista, and we will always be there for the families and children in Isla Vista. But because of that strength and those values, we're able to grow and bring those strengths to an even broader community. So I'm really excited about all that that means for our organization and for the families in the Central Coast. Thank you. Yes, we always need volunteers, particularly for our food distribution. We do a monthly food distribution and we need folks who can help pack up food, organize it. The next food distribution is March 16th and we need volunteers from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Um, but that happens monthly, usually on the second Thursday, but this looks like the third Thursday. Maybe it's the third Thursday. Um, for people who love children, uh, we can always use both volunteers and staff to work in our children's center. And then finally, donations are great. Whenever we get a donation, we're able to use it immediately to support the children and families in our community. So um, donations can be made at ivyp.org and you can find out more information about volunteering there as well. So our website is ivyp.org. So yeah, thank you for interviewing me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it was really interesting learning about it. Now, I spoke to Robin Unander, the legal advisor at the Partle Center. She provides legal guidance at Associated Student Legal Resource and the Isla Vista Tenant Union Center. And stay tuned to hear some answers to some commonly asked questions about renting in Isla Vista. My name is Robin Unander, and I'm an attorney. I've been an attorney since 1995. I have been with UCSB Associated Legal Resource Center uh, since 2003, so this is my 20th year, and I've been providing student legal support um, to the UCSB students throughout all that, in addition to having my own practice um, on the side up until about summer of 2020, and then I became a full-time employee um, uh, with this job. The Legal Resource Center is only available for registered UCSB students and up to a month after graduation, uh, mm -hmm. so it's not a resource available to community members. It uh, what we offer or what we provide to students is legal education and information. We are not able to do representation. So when somebody has an issue and they come to us, we talk about what the issue is and the law uh, that is you know supporting or or maybe even you know contrary to their interest. 
um, so that they have an understanding of what their rights, their duties, their responsibilities, you know, things like that, and then help them to be able to make some informed choices about how they want to proceed with their situation. So the Isla Vista Tenants Union shares oh, yeah. space with us in our building upstairs. They, they have the office next door, mm-hmm. but uh, they are separate. So they are also another Associated Students uh, organization, but they are a resource available to community members in Isla Vista. So Isla Vista residents who are students who go to city college, who work, um, speak English, don't speak English, it's available for residents of the Isla Vista community. Sure. So they're very similar with mm-hmm. what the Legal Resource Center does in that the uh, service that's provided would be offering information and education to make you know tenants aware of what their rights are. They'll they'll offer you know workshops when it's appropriate um, or when it seems like there's something to talk about with a general bigger group. Uh, they basically will advise residents of what you know the legal parameters are of the landlord tenant realm and so sometimes it has to do with roommate situations sometimes it has to do with landlord tenant situations sometimes there may be a situation where they're like hey i think i need to get the county involved in this because there's a you know hazardous condition going on that my landlord's not um, addressing or responding about so mm-hmm. it's it's a bit I wouldn't necessarily say broader scope than what Legal Resource Center does, mm-hmm. but it does have a broader audience that it can serve. So um, I just had, uh, I collected some questions from students at UCSB, since housing is a very hot topic right now, um, as a lot of, I know a lot of people are frantically looking for a lease next year. Okay, so one of the first questions is, this is my first time renting, what should I know? And how can I stand out as a strong applicant to leasing companies? One, the competitiveness, I think, is kind of important to, to touch on. And mm-hmm. the leasing companies are looking for a couple things. You know, they're looking for tenants that they feel are going to take care of the place, you know, are going to show responsibility and, you know, be mature about their their rental and, and what their duties are as a tenant. So demonstrating maturity, I think, is important. Um, they also want to make sure that the individual has ability to pay the rent. So sometimes they will require co-signers or guarantors. Uh, not all companies do, but it's mm-hmm. definitely a concern of the rental companies that, you know, you get a tenant in there who can actually afford to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they are able to have somebody or a parent or family friend uh, to co-sign, that would be great to line that up just in case they need to have that. Uh, of course, at this point in the year, many of the leases for next year are already signed. So I'm, I'm assuming most students have kind of lined all that up. Um, maybe there's some fringe ones that are waiting to see how something plays out or, you know, they just uh, they just don't really have the understanding that they need to get on this right now. And if they haven't gotten on this right now for their housing for next year, they need to get on this right now. Um, there are different groups, you know, Facebook groups that are out there where people might be looking for an extra person. And so either if they don't have a group yet, they might be able to find a group that way. Or if they have a group but they're missing somebody, then posting there to try and you know see who they might get to respond. Um, making sure that whoever is part of their group is somebody not only that they want to live with, but that they feel confident 
you know, can can support the financial obligations, meaning oftentimes the students will very quickly throw a group together and and think, okay, yeah, yeah, this all seems great. They seem fine, but then maybe they don't really know the person or they don't know their lifestyle and they don't know if that's going to be compatible or not, or they haven't thought about that. And that's huge as far as finding people to live with that have similar lifestyles. And the other part is, you know, bringing somebody in that you don't know if they have the financial ability to carry their share of the rent, because once you get everybody signed on to a lease and somebody doesn't fit or they cannot support their obligations, you know, to pay the rent or utilities, you can't just get them off. You can't just kick them out. You can't just vote them off the island, have a legal contract and get to stay. If they can't afford their share, that's, that's a you problem. That's not a landlord problem. And so it's a you problem in that everybody has equal standing with that lease and nobody has any more right to kick anybody off than anyone else. Once they've got that sorted out, so let's say they've got a group of people, that's a great group and everybody's happy and they feel very comfortable going forward. Then my one last bit of, of advice would be be nice to the landlord and I know there are landlords that don't deserve that kind of respect from a tenant. And I'm not saying that that's the reason why they should do it. But oftentimes where I see things going sideways is there's an issue and the tenant comes at the landlord in a very aggressive manner. And the landlord, they're human too. And some tolerate better than others as far as somebody coming at them. And if you come at them in a way that breaks down the, the communication because they don't deal with you, then they're not going to deal with you. And then they come run to me to say, hey, that my landlord is not dealing with me. Make them do something. I, I can't make them do something. The only way that something can be done by the requirement is to go to the court, which means that the tenant, if they really are wanting to insist on something, needs to take it to the courts and request an order from the judge to, to find that they're right and the landlord has to do something. So a more long drawn out and stressful process for most tenants. So there are legal remedies such as repair and deduct, such as withholding rent, but those are tricky and they are under certain circumstances. For example, Let's say you have a faucet in your bathroom and it drips. It's not a habitability issue. It's a drippy faucet. And if you pay the water, that's one thing. But if the landlord pays the water, like they do in most of these, uh, in the apartments, if the landlord pays the water, then ultimately that drippy faucet is on the landlord because it's you know, run their water bill up potentially. But if you were wanting someone to come and fix that drippy faucet and they weren't responding and you decide, well, fine, I'm going to take it upon myself. I will fix this or hire a plumber to fix this so it doesn't drip anymore. And then I'm going to deduct that bill off of my rent. You might be in trouble for that. You might not get a landlord that's agreeable to that. And now you have rent that you haven't paid in full, which may trigger a late fee that the landlord would be legally entitled to. And if you 
insist on not paying, you know, the rent of what the bill was, well, now you're potentially facing an eviction or non-payment of rent. So that it's tricky. There are certain instances, yes, where you can take things into your own hands, but we don't recommend people just doing that without speaking with us or another legal uh, resource before doing that. And in the absence of, let's say you have a true habitability issue, and if your landlord is not responding, then that's when you can resort to some other, you know, tactics. And depending on what the situation is, then you, you know, then you might be able to do something to get the landlord's attention. But it still might come down to the landlord disagrees that this that kind of situation where you can withhold rent or decide, you know, what you're going to pay, and they still take action. And so instead of you getting them to do something, you're now defending against potentially an eviction action. Um, so a lot of times what we see is that the, the tenants are frustrated because the landlord is not taking them seriously. So we try to, to talk about, okay, what is the issue? And if you have pictures to show me what the issue is or video, that's great. And talk about in terms of how, how bad is this? You know, let's get perspective on a scale of things and to measure sort of the appropriate response that the landlord should be having and go from there. But oftentimes, I get feedback from the landlords about why did they have to go to, like, why did they have to go consult with an attorney? Why couldn't they just come to me? And I have to bite my tongue a little bit because I know that they tried to go to the landlord or I know that there was discussion because I see the text message or email exchange. So I have to just sort of placate the landlord. You know, gosh, like they just wanted to know their rights. You know, they were just wanting to understand what their their role is in this, you know, and uh, so that's why. And and try and calm the landlord off the uh, ledge, so to speak, so that we can stop focusing on what the tenant did and start focusing on how do we resolve this. I recently heard that subleasing is illegal. Is that true? Do I have to get my uh, landlord's permission before I can sublease? Would I get in trouble if I sublease? With, uh, and would I get in trouble if I'm a subleasee? Good question. Because we obviously do that a lot in Isla Vista. Subleasing itself is not illegal. Hmm. It can be a violation of a rental agreement if that's what the Lord has stated in there. So in other words, everybody needs to check their leases first. And if their leases specifically say no subleasing at all, then that would mean that it would be considered a material breach of their lease. And it is such a nature of material breach that the law actually allows the landlord, if they wanted to, to kick everybody out, cancel the contract, not even give them a chance to cure by getting the subtenant out of there um, because it's, it's kind of that serious. It often will say in the lease, no assignment, which is a different type of agreement to transfer, no assignment or sublease without owner consent. And in that kind of case, yes, they do need to get the landlord's consent in writing um, that this is going to be okay. And, and if they don't, and they just try and kind of fly under the radar and have a subtenant for, let's just say, a summer sublet or one of the quarters where they might be abroad, if the landlord finds out, then 
not only is the tenant at risk for losing the entire tenancy, but then yes, the subtenant is going to get kicked out. The subtenant is not in trouble. There is nothing that the subtenant is doing wrong that would get them into any sort of trouble. Uh, they could lose their housing though, if they don't have the landlord's consent for them to be there. Um, and that becomes a whole different issue. But anybody who is a subtenant should make sure from the person that they are subleasing from that there is proof of landlord written consent. Okay, awesome. Um, and then so going back with the contract, is it a good idea to have uh, someone else look over a leasing contract with you? And then so what is a green flag and what is a red flag um, to look for in a leasing contract? Yes, having somebody look over the lease who is knowledgeable about these types of documents and contracts is, is always a great idea. Sometimes there are clauses in contracts. If the company or the person is using an outdated one or if they've created it on their own uh, without any kind of input from a lawyer or a service or association uh, that they might be, they could be part of, like, for example, you know, Meridian uh, and the other companies, Wolf and Sierra, they are part of a Santa Barbara property owners or property rental association. So they have access to what current um, documents there might be, you know, if there's supposed to be any changes or if certain leases are supposed to have certain language in them or clauses, by being part of those associations, they would get access to that information. But then when you have individual landlords and they do this on a small scale, maybe it's not their main gig, maybe they're retired and they have a couple of properties, but you know they kind of go along, they may or may not be aware of all the different changes in the law that would require some terms and conditions or clauses to be included in leases. So that gets a little, a little bit tricky when you're potentially dealing with somebody who doesn't keep themselves updated or they're using an outdated lease that they happen to borrow from somebody who was an association member 10 years ago. Mm. Um, red flags. Okay. Red flags to me would be something that has a lot of fines, a lot of penalty fees in it. Standard mm -hmm. would be a rent uh, late fee type of, of fee. Uh, a transfer fee if you wanted to transfer your lease to a different tenant you know, at some point during the tenancy. Those would be standard. Penalty um, fees are if you have a dog or a cat or an animal that's not authorized, then you're going to have a penalty fee uh, for every day that the animal's there. That's an illegal fee because it's a, a fine. Um, and that gets into a different kind of legal question about if there is a fee that's in a contract in a residential contract that is intended to punish, intended to compel compliance, discourage disobedience to that mm -hmm. lease. And that's not gonna be a fee that flies as far as the courts are concerned. Mm -hmm. But if it seems like it's a fee that's, you know, kind of connected to somehow how the landlord could be economically damaged from a violation, you know, then there's a fair argument that it's probably gonna be valid. So I, I look at how heavy the fees are um, in a lease. I, I look at whether the landlord has certain language that would allow an animal to be, to be brought in that would be you know, like an emotional support animal. 
and if there are absolutely no animals whatsoever, <laughs> um, you know, then that is a red flag. Um, I, I look at if it seems very lopsided, everything is favorable to the landlord. You know, hey, if there's any kind of legal action, then the tenant is going to be responsible for paying the attorney's fees regardless of whether the landlord wins or not, you know, that's, that's lopsided, that's unilateral, that's not enforceable. Mm-hmm. But with a lot of these clauses, as I just used the term of unenforceable, there are certain things that it doesn't matter what they put into a lease. If it's not enforceable or contrary to public policy, then the landlord cannot enforce it. So mm-hmm. illegal fees, for example, if there's a $500 fee for a tenant who has a keg on the premises, not a keg party, they mm-hmm. just have a keg on the premises. Maybe they live with 16 people and it's more cost effective for them to have a keg um, rather yeah. than cases and cases. Of- so, but there are some leases that will state it's $500 fine if you have a keg on the property. And then it becomes a question of, well, how is the keg in and of itself economically damaging the landlord? Because if the, if the keg is heavy and let's say it damages the floor. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's a certain expense. Landlord could produce a receipt to show what the repair uh, estimate will cost. And then the tenants would pay that. But to have a, a fee on top of that, just for the sake of having the keg there, how does that economically damage the landlord? It doesn't. So I, I look at certain things, I look at certain clauses, and because I understand which ones are valid, which ones are not valid, I might see a lease that is riddled with illegal clauses and knowing that they're void and unenforceable. And I, I tell the tenant, you know, if it comes up, if this comes up as an issue, you know, then we can talk about how to basically address that it's a void or unenforceable condition. But in the tenants, on the tenant side, right now, especially in this market, if they were to push back on a landlord, who had a lease riddled with illegal clauses. The landlord has the option of basically saying, sorry, you're not a good fit. I'm going to go with a different applicant. Or basically telling that tenant, take it or leave it. And that's the market that we have right now. Mm. There's no room to negotiate. In our market, not very long because the landlords don't usually give them much time, even if they do give them the lease in advance, which is not every landlord. Um, mm-hmm. but usually they'll give them about 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they have ability to look over it and meet with somebody or have somebody who's you know familiar with that kind of contract, look over it first, you know, then great. But I think in a lot of these situations, it's just kind of going on a wing and a prayer, making, you know, doing <laughs> the best you can to make the choice you can. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when I have students that come to me and they have all kinds of great questions and I say, well, you know, this is problematic for this reason, or this is not enforceable for that reason. And, and now they're having, you know, kind of eyebrows raised about, wow, is this, is getting into a contract with this person? Am I going to regret this? Mm -hmm. And I just kind of ask them at the end of the day, do you like the place? Because their interaction with the landlord is usually going to be fairly minimal. Mm-hmm. You know, unless there's an issue that comes up. And so I asked, do you like the place? You know, is it is the rent okay? Is this someplace that you could really enjoy living? 
because these leases are for one year and it's not going to devastate them, you know, to have a bad lease for one year. And if it really gets, you know, bad of something happening, they can always come back to me and we can try and talk about a workaround or something that, you know, to resolve the issue. Mm -hmm. Just that communication is so important, you know, and mm -hmm. if somebody is not real great with communication, then find their most diplomatic, find the most diplomatic roommate among them mm -hmm. to be the one that communicates with the landlord because somebody in that group is probably going to be really good about diplomacy and um, approaching things in the, you know, a, a better way than, than somebody who might be reactive. That would be my best advice. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Robin Unander. Um, I really appreciated speaking with you today. Another resource available to Isla Vista residents is UCSB Vida, a UCSB campus organization that is able to help anyone whose income is 67 k with a simple tax return. I spoke with Valerie Tran, Director of External Affairs at UCSB Vida, to see what a tax session looks like with Vida. Yeah, so um, I'm part of Vida, I'm Valerie. And VITA is Volunteer Income Tax Assistance. Mm -hmm. And I currently serve as the Director for External Affairs. Mm -hmm. So basically what I do is like I'm in charge of a lot of the like um, volunteer outreach and communication within like the volunteer groups that we have. And just basically getting the word out about VITA's like resources and trying to find like potential clients. Mm -hmm. So people that make basically under 67,000 a year or less get their tax filed. Each of the volunteers that we have and like all the board members obviously mm -hmm. go through um, like this test and this training that's issued by the IRS. Mm -hmm. So we have like about like 10, like I guess you call it modules on certain tax codes and like tax forms that are associated with personal income tax returns. Mm -hmm. And um, after you study like all those 10 like sections, you take this IRS um, certification exam and it's basically just like preparing you to, you know, be certified and, you know, filing tax returns. So when you do file people's taxes that have sensitive information, you're not, you know, messing up or anything. Okay. Um, and basically people just come in and then we have, work with this IRS, um, I guess, platform called TaxLayer, which is how we do the tax returns online with the person that's coming in a file with us present. So we're technically a club on campus, but um, we are affiliated with United, this group called United Way, which is a part of the IRS, which does, um, which does the facilitation of like these trainings and helps with like oversight of these tax filing. Anyone who makes under 67,000 a year, we could okay. file for, but if you have any like, like rental property income or like income, like substantial income from like stock returns or bonds, um, and if you're an international student without a social security number, then we can't file for you. Um, if you're military, we can't file for you. And if you have like interest dividends, um, without a certain like 1099 form, then we can't file. Okay. Um, so oh, and self-employment. <laughs> self-employment? Okay. Self so yeah. where would you recommend these people do? Like if they needed <laughs> tax assistance? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, basically there's a lot of other VITA sites. Uh -huh. um, 
around like Goleta. So there's one in Goleta Community Center. There should be one in downtown SB. I don't know like the specific like location, mm-hmm. but if you look up like Vida Centers, Santa Barbara, they'll all pop up. There's about like four of them, I believe. Uh-huh. So we um, only do like basic returns, but the other Santa Barbara sites would do the advanced returns, which is what okay. we can't file for basically. We have two advanced preparers with us right now, uh-huh. um, but it's like not really enough to sustain like advanced preparers. Uh-huh. I th- this is our first year back after COVID, so I'm not really okay. sure if we have any plans. But I think like the near future, we might like start implementing like the encouragement for our volunteers and our board members to become advanced preparers. How can one that qualify for, um, I guess, UCSB's FIDA service schedule an appointment? Yeah, so um, appointments are made through our website, UCSBVIDA.com, and there should be like a button at the very top of the website saying schedule an appointment, and you can go ahead and select a date and time mm-hmm. um, that you're available. We normally file on Fridays and Saturdays, so any one of those two days, and once you schedule with us on like the Calendly little thing that pops up, it there'll be a link of the at- items that you should bring to your tax filing day. Okay, thank you so much. Um, do you know when taxes are due this year? Yes, April fifteenth. April fifteenth. So that's soon. I gotta get on it. Also, we do drop-ins too. If you do have to drop in April fifteenth, then we are available. Um, if you do come in for tax filing. With us, please, please, please bring a picture or your actual physical copy of your social security number so you don't have to turn you away. You've been listening to Inside Isla Vista on 91.9 FM KCSB. Our theme music is Siesta by Jazer. I'm Vanessa Manikova. Thanks for joining us today to learn about the wonderful resources provided for the Isla Vista community. And I hope you have a great rest of your evening. See you next time.